Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Today I want to talk to you about the third part of this teaching series. And in your taking notes, I want you to write this down. God speaks through the conscience. This is a basic foundational way that God speaks to us. And all throughout this weekend, I've been trying to lay a foundation of just basic ways that we hear the voice of God and the way that he guides us and governs us through life. And I've been trying to address certain aspects of that that we generally do not think about. And this aspect of the conscience, a lot of times we don't really think about the voice of God guiding us through the conscience, but it is a God-given gift that every single one of us has. And so by definition, the conscience is, is just simply this, an internal self-knowledge of right and wrong or good and evil. That means every decision that you make is processed through the conscience. Every decision that you make is processed through the conscience. Every, everything that you do comes through that. And so if it's a definition of uh, internal self-knowledge of, of right and wrong, that means every single one of us has this ability. Every single one of us has been given this God-given gift of a conscience. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me just real quickly over to Romans chapter 1. Woo! Amen. And in Romans chapter 1 is really Paul speaking to or uh, proving that the Gentiles are unbelievers and how they are guilty before God. But what's interesting to me is a statement that he makes in Romans chapter 1 that relates to the conscience and really gives a witness to the fact that every single person has a conscience. And so in Romans chapter 1, in verse 18, I want you to pay attention to the language that Paul uses here. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, what's interesting to me is what he's about to say because he makes a point right here. Those people, they suppress the truth, which means they already have the truth to suppress it. But what's interesting is the next statement that he makes here in verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, not to them, in them, for God has shown it to them. What Paul is actually addressing right here is this internal self-knowledge that we have of the existence of God. Even as an unbeliever, God has already placed a conscience on the inside of you, and that conscience is to bear witness of the existence of God. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, "Why? Well, I just don't believe that. Well, I, I was a self-professed atheist for most of my life. And I began to read these passages of Scripture right here, and I was looking at it, and it made me kind of think back to the moment where I was professing to be an atheist, an atheist, and I remember I was around 11 or 12 years old when I first began to form that idea that God was not real. And I remember it was at that very same time that I also got into drugs and alcohol. 
And, I want, and you want to know why that is? When you deny the internal witness of God, it creates turmoil in the soul that now you have to find a way to feel or to treat that pain. Let me try this out over here. And I can trace this all the way back to when I was that little boy and I started denying that internal witness. I started denying that self-knowledge and, and immediately this turmoil was created in my soul. You see, conflict is created in the soul when you deny the, 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 the conviction of the conscience. I'm trying to figure out a way I want to say this very clearly. Because I've never actually focused on a teaching on this before. But this is something that I've been living my life by for 18 years. Is living my life under the conviction of the conscience. So that kind of leads me to this right here. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 21 it says, If your conscience does not condemn you, you have confidence before God. And so you see right here, it is in the conscience that you either feel conviction or condemnation. You either feel conviction or condemnation. All of us understand this because when we deny our conscience and we're trying to make a decision and we actually violate our conscience, what happens is it produces condemnation in your heart. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever went against their conscience and you didn't feel good about it? Well, that's an internal self-knowledge that God has given you. In other words, the conscience functions as a moral guide. It is there to guide you through life. But here's the issue. When you begin to violate the conscience, you begin to sear it, and it loses its effectiveness in our life. That's why you can, I can meet unbelievers, and unbelievers don't even necessarily have the Word of God in their life. They don't, they don't even know godly values, but I know unbelievers that live godlier than a lot of Christians. You want to know why that is? It's because they're living by the conviction of their conscience. They're allowing the moral guide to lead them through life. And then I meet Christians a lot of times that, that do not live by the, the guide of their conscience. is constantly violating that conscience and then begin to do sinful things. They don't even feel conviction about it anymore. Why? It's because they have, they have uh, dulled the conscience to the point where they don't even feel or sense conviction. Man, there's a reason why there's a prison full of people, full of murderers, full of criminals. Why? It's full of these people because they have denied the conviction of their conscience. They have violated it to the point where it's become seared and then they no longer felt bad about what they were doing. If you flirt with sin, you'll notice the more you flirt with it, the more comfortable you, the more comfortable you become with that sinful act. I know this isn't necessarily one of these raw, raw messages, but this right here will help you. This right here is beneficial for every single person in this room. Every single one of you should be encouraged right now that God loves you so much that he has placed in your heart this guiding system that's going to govern you in life. And, and that is the way that he speaks to you. That's the way that his spirit guides you. Matter of fact, 
In Romans chapter 9, Paul says it this way. Is this helping anybody? In Romans chapter 9, verse 1, it says this. Paul is saying, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. And so you see right here, it is actually, it is actually the conscience that bears witness to the Spirit. And so it is the Spirit of God governs you through that conscience. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 gives a description of us as a three-part being, that we are a spirit, we are a soul, and we are a physical body. Our spirit is the part of us that's been joined with God. It is the part of us that has become a new creation. It is the part of us that we commune with God. And so God speaks to us spirit to spirit, but then it manifests itself through the soul. The soul is the makeup of the mind, the will, the emotions, and the conscience. And so the soul functions as the part of your being that connects the spiritual to the natural. Is this making sense? And so the reason God has designed us to be this way is because he doesn't come to abide on the inside of us to control us. He's not interested in controlling you. That should be good news. He is not forcing you to come to church this morning. Now, your spouse may have forced you to come to church this morning, or your mom or your dad may have forced you to come to church this morning, but God didn't show up at your house and say, you old dirty, rotten scumbag, you better go to church today. you going to hell. Turn and burn. God didn't do that. But every single one of us that's a born-again believer has the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of our spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, The one that has joined himself to the Lord has become one spirit with him. And so that's where we commune with him. But when he speaks to us spirit to spirit, it is in the soul in which it manifests in our life. So that means even though that God has given you a conscience, as because of the fall of man, the conscience is not necessarily a reliable guide, meaning it needs to be governed. It needs to be sanctified according to truth. Is this helping? I know I'm trying to say a lot in a short amount of time, but this right here has absolutely transformed my life when I realize this is just a basic way that God governs me. This is, this is, this is listen, this is so simple, somebody's got to help you complicate it. She got it. But when I began to realize this, is that the Spirit He wants to lead me. He wants to guide me. And I read this passage from Paul right here in Romans chapter 9 when he says, his conscience is what was bearing witness to the Holy Spirit, which means it is the conscience in which discernment is developed. It is what I discern what's happening in the room, whether it's the Holy Spirit moving or a demonic spirit moving. But that discernment, listen, has to be sanctified according to the truth of God's word because the conscience can be guided, it can be led, it can be perverted, it can be seared. 
And so even though you have the internal guiding system inside of you, it still needs to be submitted and submitted over to the Word of God. This is why I am a big proponent of renewing your mind constantly according to the Word of God. I've said that all three services that I've done because it is just a fact. You need to sanctify your mind. You need to sanctify your soul. You need to bring that soul under the dominion of the Spirit. And the way that you do that is through the renewing of the mind. The renewing of the mind is simply this, the yielding of your will to the Spirit. That's all it is. You're just bringing your soul under the dominion of the Spirit. You're just bringing your soul under the government of the Spirit. Hence, you're bringing the conscience now under the guidance of the Spirit where now he can convict you, he can bring discernment. But here's the thing. Condemnation is not coming from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is coming from the fact that you have violated your conscience. There's only three sources where condemnation comes from. It comes from it comes from the devil, it comes from your own guilty conscience, or it comes from your spouse. I'm kidding. It doesn't come from your spouse. It comes from people. But it's not coming from God. God is not condemning you, but God is convicting you. You see, condemnation is connecting you to your failure. Condemnation point out, points out who you're not and tethers you to who you're not. But conviction connects you to who you are, your identity. Conviction says when you sin, listen, you may have sinned, but you're not a sinner. You may have failed, but you're not a failure. This isn't who you are. God has created you in his image and your nature is a nature of righteousness, holiness, and purity. So stop acting out of your nature and start behaving according to who you are. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does is he comes to bring conviction in that conscience and it's always connected to your identity in Jesus and it strengthens you. But when you deny that conviction, what happens is that condemnation and that judgment comes all over you. And it feels like God is the one condemning you. It feels like God is the one judging you. It feels like God is the one that has departed from you. But the issue is because you violated the conscience, it creates a barrier between the soul and the spirit. And so it feels like God departed from you. And so what we do is we create religious activities to somehow woo the Holy Spirit back like he left you. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. When you make a mistake, the Holy Spirit does not depart from you for two weeks until you fast and pray long enough to woo his presence back. If Jesus was that sensitive, he wouldn't have died for you in the first place. I'm preaching better than you're responding. <laughs> but this right here transformed my life. This set me free. This gave me a context of understanding that has absolutely helped every aspect of my journey. I understand that, that when I am convicted in the conscience, that's the Holy Spirit leading me and guiding me. But when I'm under judgment and condemnation, that's not God doing that. That's, that's because I'm violating my conscience 
And because of that, it's creating this turmoil in the soul. But God wants to use it to guide me. He wants to use it to lead me. Anybody ever made good decisions before? Bad decisions before? How did you process that decision? It was through the conscience, wasn't it? I want to just share this real quickly, kind of my journey to the Lord. And I've been thinking about this over the, over the weekend. And I've been trying to figure out a way to incorporate this into some of my teaching here. But I want to go back to when it was before I was a, 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 say, a, a believer, when I was an unbeliever, when I first started denying this, this inner witness of the conscience and I started this journey away from the Lord because I don't believe that I have ever shared my personal story here. And I want to share that with you just real quickly. You know, when I started denying the internal witness of the conscience and it pushed me off into drugs and it pushed me off into alcohol and it pushed me off into really just engaging in things in the world, it continued to create conflict in the soul, conflict in the heart, conflict in every aspect of my being because here's the thing, pain is always directed towards something. You're always going to direct your pain towards something, someone, whatever it is, you're always going to try to find a way to escape that pain. The issue is you are the only person you're never going to be able to escape from. When I was a pastor, I had this gentleman come up to me, and he says, William, I, I know what I need to do. I just need to go to a different church. Amen. <laughs> he says, not only that, I just probably need to go to a different city or a different state. I says, well, there's only one issue with what you're talking about. He said, what's that? I says, well, you're going to take you everywhere you go. <laughs> so if you don't learn how to live with yourself, you're gonna, those same problems are going to manifest everywhere that you are. You're never going to be able to escape you. So you better learn how to live with yourself. And so this is kind of where I was at that particular time because I was denying that internal witness, because I was denying that conscience. I was constantly living under judgment and under condemnation because I'm denying the existence of God, and it was creating that turmoil. But I didn't know what I was doing, so I was constantly trying to escape my pain. That's what drugs, that's what alcohol, that's what uh, all these other things are, movies, that's what... All these things we find ourselves into, pornography, whatever the case is, whatever that drug is that you're trying to escape yourself with, it's, 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 a, it's an illusion. You're never going to be able to escape you. You'll only end up creating more problems in the soul, more fractures in the soul, multiple personality disorders. Listen, I've been there. My, my mom was in and out of mental institutions, so I understand the, the, the conflict in the heart, the conflict in the mind. Based on my family line, I, I should have a lot of mental issues, but you know what? By my thinking, I've deactivated those genes, and I have the mind of Jesus. But at this particular time as a teenager, by the time that I was 15 years old, I was finding myself in, in and out of crack houses. I was actually living in crack houses for a period of time. And by the time that I was 16 and 17 years old, I was a full-blown meth addict, 
tripping on mushrooms and hallucinogens. I was doing six or seven different types of drug at any given moment, at any given time, because I was constantly trying to escape constantly trying to ease the, the guilty conscience that I was living according to, trying to constantly soothe that, that, that witness that I was denying. And so fast forward, I'm 20 years old. It's May of 2005, which means I'm younger than you thought I was. And I remember I was, how I'd been awake for six solid days without sleep on methamphetamine. And at that time, I probably weighed about 120, 125 pounds to give you some, some context. You know, I'm about six foot. I'm, I weigh around 185 now. So you can kind of picture what I probably looked like at 20 years old. It, it, was, it was not a beautiful sight to look at. And so I was up for about six solid days without sleep. That had been kind of common for me during those, during those times. But I didn't realize it because I was awake for six solid days that my kidneys had completely failed and my liver was beginning to fail. And so I remember I was walking along beside the road and I was going to another drug house at the time. And I was walking along a major highway, and I began to overdose on drugs walking along the highway. And so when I began to overdose, I literally, over, overdose, overdose, I literally fell into the highway, and a car hits me and knocks me off the side of the road down a ravine about 40 yards. And so I hit the bottom of this ravine. It completely knocks me out. I wake up, and I'm, it's two days later, and I'm in a hospital. And when I'm in this hospital, they're still working on me. They're still pumping fluids into my system. They've been doing it for two days, just trying to keep me alive. And the doctor looked at me, and he says, William, your kidneys have completely failed, and your liver is failing. And he said, matter of fact, if your liver completely goes out, you're going to die. Like, you're not going to make it. He says, we're trying our best to keep you alive. We're trying our best just so that you'll live to see another day. He says, however, the hospital that you're in, we're, we're not able to really deal with these things, so we're going to have to send you to another hospital. And so they, they put me in an ambulance. They take me to about an hour away to a bigger hospital that was uh, better equipped for my situation. I get there. They put me in ICU for two solid weeks. And as I'm there for two sol solid weeks, every single night I would have this, this thought, I hope I'll wake up to see tomorrow. The entire time I was an atheist, I was a drug addict, I was an alcoholic, the entire time I'm constantly denying the internal witness of the conscience. I'm constantly denying the existence of God created more and more and more conflict in the soul. I hope you hear me. I'm, I'm, I'm saying these things over and over for a reason. I'm being redundant for a reason because sometimes we people are so hard-headed, we need somebody to jackhammer truth inside of us, amen. <laughs> and there I was continuing to deny that internal witness. And for two weeks, I'm in um, intensive care. The doctors are checking on me. They have me hooked up to all these machines trying to keep me alive. And the last night that I'm there, I had that thought again. I hope I'll wake up to see tomorrow. But this time, instead of closing my eyes and going to sleep, I just, I just kept my eyes open. And I just started thinking about that statement. I hope I'll wake up to see tomorrow. And as I'm meditating on that statement, a bright light literally forms right in front of my hospital bed. 
And to be honest with you, I have tripped on a lot of mushrooms and a lot of different things in my life. To be honest with you, I thought I was going on another trip, you know. I thought I was having another flashback. And so I grabbed my hospital bed and I said, okay, here we go. I was just getting ready for that. But, but this time, this visionary experience that I was having was totally different. Like there was something tangible about it. There was a power associated to it. There was love associated to it that I had never experienced before. And so I start looking intently at this light. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it's like the size of a doorway or a pathway. And as I'm looking at this light, I see a figure of a man start walking toward me through this light. And all of a sudden, this man walks through the light into the room right where I am laying. He has a white gown on. He has brown hair. And I, can, I couldn't make out any facial features except for uh, just a brown-like beard or something underneath the chin, right? And he steps right into the hospital room. And as soon as his feet touch the floor, my entire body begins to vibrate under this power. And I just begin to shake on this bed, on this hospital bed. And he starts walking to the foot of my bed. He's not saying anything to me whatsoever. He's just looking at me. He's just staring at me. And as he gets closer, my body is just vibrating. Then he turns like he's going to leave. And he walks a few feet. And he sits down on the floor like this on his knees, like he's waiting for something. And, and then... Within a few seconds, he crosses his, his arms like this, and he looks over to the right side of the room, and when he looks over, the door opens up. A river of water starts flowing from, from the wall into the room right in front of where he is sitting, and he sticks his arms in this water and begins to clean himself, begins to wash himself. And an audible voice speaks to me, and the audible voice says this, the waters that you see will purify and cleanse you if you receive Jesus the Christ as Lord and Savior. That was a good point to say amen, brother. I want you to understand this. I had never heard the gospel before until this moment. I had never heard the name Jesus ever spoken to me before this moment. I had never met a Christian before. One of the reasons that I was an atheist was the fact that I had never met a Christian. And my argument was this. If God is really real, then his people would live as if he's real. I don't think the world is rejecting Jesus. I think the world is rejecting the misrepresentation of Jesus. The church. The church is the most judgmental, condemning people. And so there I was, I'm in this hospital room, I hear this voice, and when I hear this voice, every part of my being screams out, yes! And all of a sudden, that, that power and that voice, it goes inside of my body, and I begin to vibrate and shake, and I can literally feel my organs trembling under this power. Well, it gets so intense, it completely knocks me out, and I don't wake up until the next day, about 12 or 14 hours later. 
And when I wake up, the doctors come in and the doctors are talking to me and they say, William, we've been doing tests on you for 12 hours. Not only are your kidneys better, not only is your liver better, but it's as if you've never done drugs before your entire life. They said, you don't even have any reason to be in the hospital room. They were like, please, leave. (laughs) But you know what the most beautiful thing is? When Jesus appeared to me, because it was Jesus that appeared to me, he didn't come in judgment. He didn't come in condemnation. He didn't come in and say, you old dirty, rotten scumbag. Why are you living in sin? Why are you doing drugs? Why, why, why are you denying me? No, he came in to reveal himself in a way that would deliver me from the condemnation and the judgment that I had in my heart. You see, Jesus thinks you are to die for. You see, the God of the universe gave his life to be in divine fellowship with me. This is why I'm completely delivered from people's opinion about me because God loves me. Who gives a rip about what people thinks? God of the universe chose me, has anointed me, has called me, has sent me. No man has called me. No man has sent me. No man laid hands on me to do anything. It was God himself appearing out of his own goodness, creating a moment in time for me to have the faith that I needed to respond to his gift of salvation. Do you know what grace does? Grace produces in you the faith you need to respond to his gift of salvation. Amen. And so when they discharged me from the hospital room that day, and at the time I hadn't spent, I hadn't seen really my family for about eight years, it wasn't because my, my family didn't try to have fellowship with me, it was just because of the life that I was living. I didn't want to be around people, right, <laughs> that were going to try to talk me out of the lifestyle that I was doing. I'm just being real and honest. So I call my father, and my father comes to pick me up at the hospital. But what I didn't know is that he had just got saved about the month or two before. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And so it was like God was setting me up. And so my father comes, and he picks me up, and we get into the vehicle. We start making our way back to his house, and he begins this whole father-son conversation. uh, William, if you get off the drugs, I'll help you get a job. I'll help you get a home. You know, he's going through all of that spirit with me. But even then, I had enough wisdom not to tell him about the man that appeared to me, right? Because I didn't want them calling to calling the police or the psychiatric ward or somebody on me, you know. So I had enough wisdom not to tell him about that. So we get all the way to his house, and, and a few days go by, and I realize, man, not only, not only is my kidneys and liver better, but I don't even have a desire to do drugs anymore. Like, I'm not even going through withdrawals from the drugs anymore. I was like, my, my internal world is now pure. Like, like I had a clean conscience. One encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit by his blood purged my conscience. 
That's why Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 says, The blood of Christ will cleanse the conscience from dead works. Hence, the blood of Christ will cleanse the conscience. And so I get all the way to my dad's house. I realize, man, these I'm not even having... Uh, desires to do drugs anymore. I have new desires. I have I have hope in my heart. I have joy in my heart. I have peace in my heart. Well, I've been living under condemnation and judgment for, for 10 years almost. And then one of my friends comes over to the house to, to kind of catch up with me because I hadn't seen them probably in about eight years, like I mentioned. And we're sitting on a couch and he, we're having a normal conversation. And within just a few moments, I start speaking in different languages to him. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I, was start, I started speaking in tongues. Just imagine you going over to your best friend's house. You're sitting on a couch and all of a sudden you're like, And all of a sudden you start speaking in different languages to him. I mean, that would freak you out. That would freak them out. Matter of fact, it did freak him out. And my cousin is one, or my friend is one of these people that uh, he carries mace on his keychain. And so he pulls his mace out and he's trying to spray me with it. And he's like, What are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to tell him to call 911, but I can't speak American. And I'm like, He's trying to spray me with it. And this goes on for like five minutes. I don't know if you've ever had that happen before. <laughs> but I didn't even have a context of what happened to me, right? And so, I, and so he looks at me and says, uh, what in the world is going on? And after about five minutes, I get where I can gather myself and I can speak again. And I says, well, I think I need to tell you about this man that appeared to me. He says, yeah, you need to tell me about this guy. <laughs> And so I began to describe to him this man that appeared to me, the, what happened in the hospital room, and, and, and also what's happening just then. He says, oh, I know what happened. I said, well, what happened? He says, you became a born-again believer. <laughs> and it was the first time I realized I was a Christian. I didn't know I was a Christian. I saw, so I asked my cousin, I said, well, what do I need to do? He says, well, you need to go to Walmart. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Because you know everything you need in life is at Walmart, you know, or, or, or baby Walmart, Dollar General, one of the two. And I says, what do you mean I need to go to Walmart? He says, well, there's a book that you need to buy at Walmart. He says, it's a black book. It has gold letters on the front of it. And on the front of it, it says, Holy Bible. He says, you need to go to Walmart. You need to buy this black book. You need to read this book because this book is going to tell you how to live the Christian life. And so that's what I did. I went to Walmart. I walked over to the book section where he told me to go. And, and I made sure it was black and not red because I wasn't going to hell. And, and, so, and so I walked over and I found the black book. And I, and I looked at it. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm ready to read this book. And I get all the way to my house. And you know, you've read this translation before. And I opened it up. And it's in Shakespeare. You know. Look, I'm from Alabama. We don't talk like that. If Jesus would have showed up in my room talking about, oh, brother, where art thou? I'm like, hold up, brother, what you talking about? Now, you know, the King James Version. Like, and I'm trying to read it. It's in Shakespeare. I don't understand it. So I go back to Walmart. I get another translation, you know, the NIV, the not inspired version. And I get home with that one. Amen. 
I don't know why I'm telling you guys this stuff. And I get all the way home with it. And I open the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 1, I see a good God has made a good world. And it's for man out of his good image to be a good steward of his good creation. And I read the entire Bible in about 40, 45 days. Because I thought that's what Christians are supposed to do. And in the process of reading the Bible, I was sanctifying my conscience. And in the process of reading the Bible, I was renewing my soul. I was bringing the soul under the dominance and dominion of the Spirit to the point where I can literally begin to trust the conviction of my conscience. And it was in those pages and it was in this process that I I learned, man, this is how the Holy Spirit governs me. This is how I can discern when he is speaking to me. It's in this internal witness that I have. It's in this internal voice that I have. And I get all the way to the end of the Bible and I realize, man, he's a good father. And he's not a God that's far off into the sky somewhere. But he's a God that lives inside of me. That he has chosen me as the house in which he dwells. He has chosen you the house in which his spirit dwells. God loves you so much he's willing to live inside you as a captive until you learn obedience. About three weeks after this experience with the Holy Spirit, this experience with God, this experience with Jesus, I get a letter in the mail from the hospital saying that my $55,000 hospital bill had been paid for in full. I don't even know who paid for it. I don't know if Jesus appeared to me, got me saved, walked down to the clerk and paid my bill. I, I don't know. The only thing I knew is I wasn't about to tell them I didn't pay it. (laughs) Amen. They said, your bill has been paid for in full. A month after that, I get a subpoena in the mail because I had two felonies at the time on my life. And when the police officers found me overdose on drugs, there was, I had drugs, uh, overdose, I had drugs on me. And so there was another charge pending against me that I had to go to court to plead guilty or or not guilty for. And so I get to the court that day and it's my turn to kind of plead guilty or not guilty. And I come up before the judge and I have never seen this happen before. It was strange. It's weird. And the judge comes up and he says, well, William, I've been looking forward to seeing you today because it was a small town and he knew me pretty well. And he says, I told you the last time I was going to make sure you do some time. And I was 20 at this point. And as soon as he gets this out of his mouth, a police officer opens the door, walks into the room, walks up onto the platform where he is, whispers something in his ear, walks down and walks out the door. The judge for a moment drops his head 
opens his eyes back up, looks at me. He says, this is the strangest thing I've ever seen. He said, I've just been informed that the drugs that they found on you to charge you with is no longer in their possession. <laughs> Could you imagine that? And he says, however, because you're in court today and this is costing the state money, I am going to have to charge you a fine for being in this uh, court appearance and you need to pay the sum total of $666. It was almost like the devil had marked me from childbirth and said, no, this is going to be my disciple, but my heavenly father by his blood because as soon as the judge says this my natural father that took me to the courtroom that day he's two rows behind me and he stands up and he says that boy right there he is my son he says and I am here to pay his debt for him because he is my son and my father walks up and my father grabs me and we walk to the back and we talk to the clerk and he pulls out $666 and he pays my debt. And it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done on the cross for you that every sin, every charge that was pending against you, he came and he paid the full price for your life, your past, present and even future sins he has paid an ultimate price for you to live in fellowship with him and in that moment I saw this beautiful picture of a loving heavenly father manifested through my natural father that no matter the life and the lifestyle that I've lived he loved me so much he died to redeem me from my history so that it doesn't have to be my destiny And I walk out of that courtroom that day and I walk out and I, and I made a decision. I am no longer going to go back to the filth that God has delivered me out of. I am setting my heart like a flint toward my father and I'm following him. I'm going to submit my heart, submit my mind, allow his spirit to guide me through the conviction of my conscience and I know that I'm not going to violate it any longer because if I violate it, I sear it. Family, when you leave here today, understand that when you feel those convictions in the heart, it's God leading you. It's God guiding you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.